Thank you. It's a, it's a joy to be here with you at this Asian American Leaders Conference. A uh, big heart of mine is actually to be with Asian American leaders. So this is a real treat for me as well. Um, gatherings like this feed our souls. Amen? Right? They also feed our tummies too sometimes. So thank you for the in and out yesterday. I come from Wisconsin, so, you know, we don't get that kind of food. Uh, I thought I'd start by sharing a little bit about myself and my own Asian American family with you. Um, you'll see on the picture here, uh, my wife Nancy is Korean. Uh, she's actually, the other day, I shared this picture at a meeting, and they said, wow, Tom, you have three daughters. <laughs> I can't tell you how happy that made my wife feel when she found out. Uh, but my wife is two over from me. Uh, we've been married for 23 years right now, and uh, I've got two daughters. Um, Abby is next to me. She's uh, 17, and Livy is at the end there. She's 15. And so uh, my wife's Korean background. I'm Taiwanese, and so we call our kids Tyrian kids. So we've got Tyrian kids. I don't know if there are other Tyrian kids here. <coughs> you should also know that growing up, uh, I never dreamed of being a missionary. I grew up in a, a good Asian church in Chicago, but as a kid, the one thing I was never taught was to be a missionary. I was taught that missionaries were strange people with nothing better to do with their lives. I mean, I was taught that missionaries were only for the super spiritual, you know, the Marvel superhero Christians. I was taught instead to be a good Asian kid, nice to my friends, respect my parents, go to church and youth group, and quietly take my place in the world. I grew up very much like a rich young leader in Mark chapter 10. It was a leader in his community who went up to Jesus and he asks, what's expected of him? He reminds me of an Asian American dream child, like the kind of guy my parents would have been proud of, right? You know, like a child prodigy, played three instruments, top of his class at University of Galilee, you know, <laughs> CEO of a startup company, hundreds of millions of dollars in stock options. You know, the kind of guy that our parents would be like, why can't you be more like him, you know? Or maybe to some parents, they'd say to their daughters, why can't you marry someone like him, right? Some of your parents here are like that, right? Uh, he was a good moral guy, too. He obeyed most of the commandments, very good to his parents. I think he took care of the elderly, gave to the local temple. But there's one thing that this guy is missing, the Bible says. And we'll talk about that today. This morning, I've been asked to share about how Christ our King intersects with Asian American leaders, um, how he speaks to our leadership in this post-COVID cultural moment of the church. What is Jesus, our King's primary calling to us as Asian American leaders? We'll start with this young Asian American leader in Mark chapter 10 who genuinely wants to follow Jesus. So let's look at Mark chapter 10, verse 17. <coughs> good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. This Asian American leader runs up to Jesus and asks, what's expected of him? What must I do to inherit eternal life? This young leader, I think, wants like a checklist, you know. Jesus, tell me what I need to do to cross the finish line and, you know, what I don't need to worry about, you know, the extra credit stuff. You know, I don't need to know that. So Jesus says, you're a smart guy. You know the commandments. You know Exodus 20. Now, what's odd about the commandments in this passage? Some of you have probably preached on this passage. You know, there's something odd here in verse 19. How many commandments are there? 
There's six, right? Six. So why does Jesus spell out these six commandments? These are commandments that deal with our relationship with other people, right? The commandments we normally think of when we say, well, I'm a good family-oriented, hardworking church worker, so I can go to heaven. And you kind of get the feeling that this rich young leader is thinking the same thing. He says, teacher, I have kept all these since I was a boy. And he gives himself a pat on the back, you know, good job. Right? So what's missing, though? What are the other four commandments about? They're commandments dealing with our relationship with God. Right? So Jesus calls this guy to do something really hard. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He's shocked. He leaves in tears because his identity has been rooted in his idol of wealth. Jesus the king wants authority over all areas of his life, but it's difficult to leave it. As I look around the room today, my guess is we're a lot like this young leader. We're, we're very good at the six commandments. We're good leaders. We're nice to our friends. We treat people well. We treat them to dinner. We're honest. We don't steal. We respect our parents. We raise good kids. We serve the church. Sometimes following Jesus and church leadership maybe seems too easy. We say to Jesus, Jesus, I have kept all these since my youth. But I think Jesus' invitation to us today, like this Mark 10 leader, is that we may need to leave behind and submit certain areas of our lives to Christ our King. A leader leads by submitting to our King. A leader leads by submitting to our King. Now, my guess is that many of us have lived this, and we've experienced this one truth, that leadership and submitting our lives to the king is costly, especially as Asian Americans. <clears throat> if we went around the room today, I'm sure we'd hear amazing stories. I was raised by tiger parents. Uh, my parents came from poverty in Asia, so I wouldn't have to live in poverty in Asia. They had one definition for success only, and that was full-time professional positions with unlimited security and unlimited financial potential. <laughs> Any of you have parents like that? And if you can't do that, if you're not sure about your future plans, they said, you have to at least go to grad school to get some letters after your name. You know, MD, JD, PhD, MBA. I was doing pretty well on this track. Graduated high, when I graduated high school, I was like this rich young leader, graduated top of my state, top of my class, on the cover of magazines on an ESPN television special. And as a student at Harvard University, I did just about everything I could to plan for this multi-million dollar professional career. I shaped my identity around it. I needed to work hard to graduate valedictorian, to go to law school, to get those JD letters after my name, to make my millions. And I chased that dream until one day, when it was finally within reach, I felt empty. That day, I encountered Christ our King through this passage in Mark 10. He said, I have a new mission for you, Tom. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. <clears throat> it meant making a decision to follow Jesus' call to become a campus missionary, a job with virtually no security, no financial potential, and no letters after my name. <clears throat> I remember thinking, what other job is there where a Harvard graduate can get ghosted by freshmen? You know, it meant watching my classmates have careers that only my parents could dream of, 
And here I was doing this ministry thing. And so parents began saying to the kids, hey, you see that guy Tom there? Don't be like him, you know? <laughs> Mother said to the daughters, you see that guy Tom there? Don't even think about marrying someone like him. Submitting to Jesus meant not submitting to my parents. I love my parents, and I, I yearn to receive their love and approval. But when I first responded to God's call, mom and dad argued profusely with me for days and days and days. <coughs> they finally got down on their knees with their palms open, and they said, Tom, our lives are in the palm of your hands. Please don't crush us. They begged me for days and days, and mom effectively ended all our arguments when she said, if you do this, Tom, I will kill myself. They cut off communication with me for years. My phone calls went unanswered. My letters went unreturned. I remember crying out to God, this isn't the leadership I signed up for, God. Christian leadership and submitting our lives to the king is costly, especially as Asian Americans. Today, as I look at the Asian American church, I wonder if we've forgotten the courage we had some time ago for leaving everything for the sake of Jesus' call. I wonder if we've forgotten about Jesus' kingship over all areas of our lives. I wonder if it's tempting to want to be our own king or queen. But there is only one king in our churches. Amen? Now I want to pause for a moment and help us to reflect on our own leadership and lives. Are there areas where we are not submitting to our king? I'm going to look at four specific areas uh, to Asian American leaders. I think they're kind of Asian American idols or temptations which we may need to resubmit to our king. So the first is submitting portfolios and possessions, financial portfolios and possessions. Christ knows how hard it is to submit in this area of wealth, even as ministers. We know in the scriptures, it says, Jesus looked around, continuing in this passage, looked around, said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, interestingly, the original Greek here, those of you who are familiar with it, you know, rich here doesn't mean like millionaires. It just means to to use, to need, right? To, To have perhaps more than needed. Do any of you have more than you need? Maybe some excess, right? Even pastors or missionaries, right? Those who have excess will find it very difficult to enter the kingdom of God. <coughs> Jesus challenges me in this area as well. Um, my whole background, my, my major was economics. My favorite math, my subject in school was math. Uh, I love money. Right? During my first few years of ministry, money was scarce as expected. I was on what we call a ramen budget. Okay? So like, le- I was making like less than $1,000 a month having like ramen or a couple of noodles every day. What I didn't expect was that I would become fixated on money and begin hedging my bets just in case God didn't provide. Money became my idol. Then God intervened in those years and said, leave your money, Tom. 
I broke down in, in church and I started crying and I decided from that day on, I got to do everything I can to leave money idle in my life. One thing I began doing immediately is during my speaking engagements that month and the next month, I started giving away $100 every time I preached, okay? It was an exhilarating feeling. I felt free, and it made my talks and sermons so much better, too. <laughs> For some reason, people began packing auditoriums to hear me preach, you know, <laughs> giving away money. <coughs> A leader leads by submitting our portfolios and possessions to our king. As a young adult, perhaps you were on fire for the Lord to go and sell everything, renouncing your possessions. But as you've grown in leadership, maybe the gifts lavished on you have grown. The acclaim and access to nice things have grown. Maybe you begin noticing the wealth of your peers or the wealth of celebrity pastors. You begin looking at the portfolios and the property values of those around you. And slowly, the temptation to hedge our bets grows. And slowly, over time, we begin seeking that wealth. And slowly, we begin taking matters into our own hands. Maybe I'll submit some of it to the king, but not all of it. And you may know of some Asian pastors who have fallen because of wealth. We praise God for the resources in the Asian American community to generously support today's pastors and church workers. Praise God. But let's pause for a moment here. Are we generous with it? One countercultural step we can take is to lean into generosity instead of scarcity. One of the things I'm excited about today is the future of Asian American philanthropy. Uh, with the highest per capita income today of any demographic group with generational wealth coming, Asian Americans can have world-changing impact through giving away wealth. And who should best model this generosity but the Asian American church and its leaders, right? One countercultural step for us today to submit wealth to our king is to maintain a regular spiritual practice of generosity, like in addition to our tithe. As a young minister, Nancy and I started what we call the generosity budget. It's a monthly spiritual practice of giving away at the time. It was $100 a month to care for people. And we'd have so much fun as a couple. We'd be like, who can we give away money to this month? You know, who can we bless? Who's in need? Right? So fun. Today, as a spiritual discipline of submitting to the king, we continue this generos generosity budget monthly. My brother's gotten into it. He does the same. I remember a few years ago, he, brought, he bought a coworker, an air conditioner, uh, he bought a used car for a widow. Uh, he bought a laptop for his pastor. I mean, lay leaders here in the room, what would it be like if you bought your pastor a laptop, right? Pastors, would you like that? You know, or pastors, what would it be like if you bought someone in your congregation a used car, right? A leader leads by submitting to our king. <clears throat> the second area of submission is submitting our platforms and pride platforms, and pride. We live in a context today when mission leaders focus an overwhelming amount of time on building platform and branding and social media followers and visibility for their cause, but insufficient time to do the mundane and unsexy work of actually engaging in the cause. 
I talked to a seminary leader once who said this. He said, you know, Tom, everyone wants to be a network leader, but no one wants to be the actual pastor in the network, you know? <laughs> everyone can't be a network leader or a ministry entrepreneur with multiple sexy platforms. Today's challenges require working in the trenches. It requires becoming hidden figures in a name visibility culture. We're not called to build platform or name, but be willing to submit to Jesus' platform in Jesus' name. Amen? After seven years as a campus missionary, uh, I, I wrote some books. People started knowing my name. I started being invited to some of these platforms. And soon, my courage to go and sell and submit to the king began to wane. I noticed my leadership was getting comfortable. And my life with Jesus stagnated. Was I willing to submit to King Jesus if he wanted me somewhere else? Then God in his infinite wisdom knew how he could get to me. That's when he sent a beautiful woman into my life, Nancy. <coughs> While dating, uh, Nancy said to me, Tom, would you ever consider serving overseas? And I'll never forget my immediate answer to her was like, no, why would I do that? I love America. <laughs> Little did I know that was her marriage test question, and I had failed, right? <laughs> but God has grace. So we began, eventually, we got married, we began researching long-term opportunities. Finally, the Lord called us to Mongolia in 2002 to go and sell everything we had to plant an evangelical student ministry there. Ironically, we found ourselves living in poverty and in Asia, you know? <laughs> uh, here's a picture of us. So, um, so my wife, Nancy... Uh, my oldest daughter, Abby, which we who we raised in Mongolia. And that's not our horse, but looks great in the picture. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it was a scary task. Mongolia is a former communist country where prior to 1989, there were no known Christians in the country. It's a country without Christian history. The first Bible was translated in the year 2000. It's a country which most people refer to as the middle of nowhere. Right? And besides all that, it's cold. Negative 40 degree winters. Okay? And we were living in California at the time. So we thought, can we actually survive here, God? Christ our King challenged my pride. It wasn't a popular ministry career move or leadership ladder climbing move you would map out. I didn't want to go to a place where I'd be utterly humble. So when God first said, go, Tom, I said, no. I said, I don't, know that, I don't know that language. I'm terrible at learning languages. And frankly, I don't like to be embarrassed. But God said, go. Leave behind your English. Your preaching will be useless. I said, God, I'm, I'm a city boy from Chicago. I can't rough it. I've been pampered all my life. I never went to Boy Scouts. I don't know anything about the countryside, you know. <laughs> Send someone else. But God said, go. I left the pride we had in our friendships. Good friends. Starting over was hard. I remember Nancy and I, when we got to Mongolia, we'd like look at each other some days and be like, honey, we have no friends, you know? <coughs> so we were there. After four years in Mongolia, we said, Lord, thank you very much. We've learned about leadership. Uh, we're done, you know. Where do you want us to go? And we dreamed of coming back to California. And as we prayed and just said, Lord, where do you want us? We're in California. The only image he gave us was this one right here on the screen of Missouri and Kansas. Okay? This is the picture he gave us. Okay? 
And we moved to Missouri, which we eventually fondly called the Mongolia of the U.S. Okay. We left pride again as we started over again with no friends. I remember people asking us in Missouri, where are you from? One day, I was so tired, we were at the St. Louis Arch, and I remember, it was like the Asian American nightmare, right? Someone asked me just randomly there, where are you from? I was, you know, and then I was like, oh, uh, we live in that suburb over there, just a little ways, we live close by. No, where are you from? And I was like, oh, I was born and raised in Chicago, you know, I was in Chicago. No, where are you from? You know, and he, I didn't want to give in, you know, so I kept making up other answers, you know. And finally, I said, oh, well, my parents are from Taiwan, and, and then they said, Oh, Bangkok. I've been to Bangkok before. I was like, oh, no, okay. That's where we lived. I had a seminary classmate. His name is Stu. He said to me, that's so interesting, Tom. You're, moving, you're leaving Mongolia and going to the most unsexy ministry and unsexy leadership I could think of. I think he meant it as a compliment, you know, but God doesn't call us to sexy leadership. He doesn't give us easy calls to the rich young leader or to any of us. Time and time again, he says, do you have the courage to go and sell everything and then come follow me? Like the young leader in Mark 10, I believe Jesus' challenge to Asian American leaders today is to submit our whole lives under his kingship, to leave the forms of wealth that are at the core of our identity, whether that's portfolios and possessions or platforms and pride. A leader leads by submitting to our king. Third area for us, it's a very interesting one as I've been reflecting, submitting individualism or a lone ranger mentality. I don't know if you noticed this before. It's an interesting thing I've noticed about Asian American leaders is that for a communal culture with communal values, we tend to operate pretty individualistically. We bought into the idol of individualism. It's all about me and my individual effort. We bought into a Western individualistic mindset. You know, when we picture Asian church leaders, we probably often picture the Lone Ranger leader who is doing it all. You know, the Marvel superhero Christian, right? And ironically, while our Asian churches revere individual leaders, my white church friends revere team approaches and communal models and shared leadership. We picture other Asian churches individualistic. I love this conference because I, I feel the communal atmosphere in the community. But often we picture other Asian churches individualistic, not as community, but as competition. <coughs> I remember uh, maybe 15 years ago, a while back, I was in L.A. Uh, at a meeting with uh, Pastor Jim Bob Park. Is he still around? Um, young knock, I think, at the time. And, and I remember he was telling me, he's like, Tom, you don't understand. When we have pulpit duty and I, I need to invite someone to speak, I don't invite someone else in L.A. I bring someone from far away in. I said, why? He said, because if that pastor from the church in L.A. comes and everyone likes his preaching, then they're going to go to his church. <laughs> in Boston, I remember the needs being huge there, the kingdom needs being huge, yet competition over something as small as Friday nights. Where should people go on Friday nights? Individual churches fighting with each other. They should go to my church, this church, parachurches fighting over each other. All like, where should a student go to on a Friday night? It was nothing like community. We've adopted an individualistic mindset versus a communal mindset of the king in the kingdom. 
We've adopted a Lone Ranger mentality. And when we intertwine this individualistic mindset with the loneliness and isolation of the season, why are we surprised when leaders are lonely and burnt out? When they have no accountability or no one to talk to? Why are we surprised when leaders fall and we hear of the latest Asian church scandal? But Jesus is king. And if we are about his kingdom, we need to submit our leadership and repent of this individualistic mindset. Let's lean into our Asian value of community and repent of this Lone Ranger mentality. Amen? Amen. Several years ago, I was convicted of this in my own leadership. You know, if Jesus is king and InterVarsity's ministry is about his kingdom, then why are we operating competitively with other campus ministries? So in 2019... Crew and InterVarsity, the two largest campus ministries, joined forces to birth what we call the Every Campus Initiative. It's inviting the two of us, inviting all other ministries and churches to reach the over 3,000 campuses in the United States, to see a gospel movement on every campus, because there wasn't one. Together, we launched a site, it's everycampus.com. We called people to pray for every campus, which we accomplished within 12 months, mobilizing prayer and planting, regardless of what organization or ministry you're connected to. We're about his kingdom. What would it look like for us to see a united church, to to unite a divided church today, at least unite the Asian American church, to submit our individual agendas, to step out of isolation and into community, to see each other preaching at each other's churches, You know, maybe the person next to you can come to your church. A leader leads by submitting to our king. Fourth and lastly, uh, submitting security and safety, uh, which requires resiliency. And I want to talk about resiliency some. I asked a well-known executive coach, what's different for today's CEOs? And remember what she said to me. She said, Tom, leading is harder than ever before. You have more things coming at you and coming quicker. Leadership today requires a higher level of resiliency. Uh, Pre-COVID, I was with uh, an evangelical student ministry in Nigeria at their national conference. Nigeria's got like a crazy campus ministry. Lots of students involved. Uh, Here's a photo here. Um, No security or safety, but Nigerian students worship passionately and with hope. The conference center was guarded by, you see there, security forces with machine guns, random checkpoints, guns by the plenary stage, a terrorist attack possible at any moment. Militant Islam is their top challenge, and students there have lost loved ones to Boko Haram attacks. 1.5 million have been forced from their homes or are without actually food in the Muslim north. Uh, They face anti-Christian laws, persecuted, they're banned from certain universities in the north. However, the students were resilient in the midst of this constant threat, not giving it to fear, but boldly proclaiming the gospel wherever they are. And at that conference, uh, thousands of students accepted the call to move intentionally to the north, to the Muslim north, because they said to me, Tom, we won't give in to fear. The gospel is worth sacrificing our lives. And as I was flying home, it made me wonder, how do we develop 
an Asian American church with resilient faith like this that can withstand insecurity and danger, pandemics and crises? As I've been thinking about developing resiliency in today's college students, I've been also asking myself, how am I developing resilient kids? Kids. Are there any parents here with kids at home? Okay, good number of you. Yeah. <coughs> For today's parents, we tend to do a lot to overprotect them, to promote security and safety in their lives, right? With the net effect of making them a bit non-resilient. Uh, David Brooks of the New York Times wrote an op-ed, uh, this is uh, during the pandemic at some point, I think, he called it modern resiliency, okay? And he said this, in short, emotional fragility is not only caused by overprotective parenting, it's also caused by anything that makes it harder for people to find their telos, their purpose for living. It's caused by the ethos of the modern university, which in the name of critical thinking, encourages students to be detached and corrosively skeptical. It's caused by the status code of merit, modern meritocracy, which encourages people to pursue success symbols they don't actually desire. We're all fragile when we don't know what our purpose is. A key towards resiliency and resilient churches is knowing our purpose. I thought that was fascinating. <coughs> resiliency for this student generation was tested Actually, in California, maybe it was seven, six, seven years ago, when thousands of students at Cal State schools were no longer officially allowed to meet on campus. They were banned. It was university groups, crew groups, were banned from campus. No flyers were allowed, no status, no student organization. You, you can't exist, essentially. So how would students respond? Well, I loved what I saw. So here's a photo from... <clears throat> this is Cal State Sonoma campus. So, so you're not allowed to put flyers, you're not allowed to exist, but you can wear backpacks. <laughs> so they created backpack banners. See, those are backpacks. You can't say anything to me because I'm wearing a backpack, you know, that advertised all a bunch of stuff, you know, in a varsity and a bunch of stuff. They just advertised it. These students had a clear telos. What's interesting is when they started going through suffering, their telos became clear. Their purpose became clear. Their mission is on campus. They were to reach this campus. What do we need to do to reach this campus? Let's get creative. It led to resiliency. I'm challenged by those students. How are we teaching resiliency? How are we modeling resiliency in our leadership? For Asian American church leaders, resiliency isn't so much about risking our physical lives, like in Nigeria, but it may mean risking our reputations and enduring criticism. In a culture that makes judgments based on 140 character statements, today's ministry leaders face a level of critique, polarization, false narratives that previous generations did not face. They're critiqued for saying too much about an issue or saying not enough about an issue, right? It's like no-win situations. Do you identify, right? <coughs> Years ago, I had the joy of directing the Urbana Student Missions Conference. It's the largest student mission conference in the world at the time. During Urbana 2015, I was criticized within parts of the church for Urbana's conference's missiological stance on Black Lives Matter, crying out for reversal. It didn't matter that at the conference David Platt and Francis Chan spoke or anyone else spoke. We had a small segment that talked about how we should care for black people. 
Ironically, the criticism was mostly from those who had never been to that Urbana and who simply read tweets they saw online and made their judgments based on a narrative formed by their friends. More criticism came accusing Urbana for not caring about immigration, the environment, you name the issue, even criticism for using guitars instead of the organ. And this is 2015, you know. One truth you can always count on in leadership is that you will without a doubt get criticized. Ironically, one year later, those same friends who applauded us a year ago that, that year on Black Lives Matter took to social media to criticize us for our conservative theological, theological position on human sexuality. Narratives began circulating. Phone calls, Facebook messages, campaigns. I had a change.org petitions come to me. It was hard. Critique is now the norm in leadership, and today's ministry leader must grow in resiliency. Resiliency means being able to lead vulnerably when you're both going along the tides of culture and when you're going against the prevailing culture. Resiliency means bearing pain. Leaders bear pain. Leaders bear pain. We hold the church's pain, absorbing vitriol, frustration, doubt, anger from all the stakeholders. Let me pause for a moment and just say a word about how God has uniquely prepared Asian Americans, though, for resiliency. I think we're uniquely prepared. We can do it. <coughs> we learned resiliency growing up in a majority culture which looked very different than our Asian culture. I believe our bicultural, multicultural upbringing, our experiences of marginalization, has produced leadership resilience. And I want to give a special shout-out to the Asian American women here today who have endured even more marginalization and challenge. They have been prepared, you have been prepared for resiliency and resilient leadership. And I see you. As Asians and Asian women, we know what it's like to bear pain and to persevere through it. We know what it's like to not feel safe, to be criticized. God has uniquely prepared Asian Americans for resilient leadership. A leader leads by submitting security and safety to our king. Let's conclude with the last few verses in the passage, Mark 10, in a phrase we can easily miss. We can't miss the climax here, so I want to we'll first go back to verse 21. <coughs> uh, some of you here who have studied this passage, you know this is, this is the gem verse of this whole story. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus loves him. Jesus doesn't want to be, like, mean to this guy. And so we must ask, if leaving this one thing behind is so painful and hard, how is this out of love? Peter, actually, interesting, in verse 28, has the same question. Peter says, Jesus, look, I've left everything and followed you. What about me? And Jesus answers loud and clear in verse 29 and 30. He said, it's going to be so good and worth it. I know it's hard, but it's going to be so good and worth it. I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. 
Not a bad deal, right? When we submit our leadership under the authority of Christ our King, He is faithful. When we submit our leadership under the authority of Christ our King, He is faithful. No matter how long you've been in leadership, keep coming back to this promise. Keep coming back. God meets us when we go and sell everything. Everything for the sake of following him. Jesus is looking at you and loving you and promising you 100-fold in this age and in the age to come. In my journey, Jesus has given 100-fold, lavished his generosity in every stage of leadership. <clears throat> Though with persecution at times, we've seen ministry fruit grow more than a hundredfold. This every campus movement that, that crew and university have been involved in has cut in half the number of unreached campuses in our country. In Mongolia, there's a fellowship of Christian students there today. It's a movement reaching universities throughout Mongolia, registered with the Mongolian government, seen thousands of people come to faith with six indigenous Mongolian leaders leading it. Leadership is so worth it. My wife and I have received a hundredfold in portfolios and possessions. We've always had more than we've needed. Excess. We've always had more. We've had a shelter, clothing. We can send our kids to college. A hundredfold in family. I've never been alone. As, my, as I left my parents behind, God gave me surrogate parents, churches around the country that rallied behind me. I remember one day when leadership was hard. And submitting to the king was hard. I said, Jesus, have you forgotten about me? God gave me a hundredfold gift of a phone call. And it was from uh, one of my students. Her name was Judy, Judy Kim. She's Korean-American. And she, uh, she said, Tom, um, my parents would like to talk to you on the phone. And usually if you're a campus minister, talking to parents, you, know, you don't know if those phone calls are good. You know, like, okay, you know, sure. And I met her parents one time before. So uh, she gives me the phone. She said, oh, it's my mother. I was like, okay. <coughs> so I said, hi. And Judy's mother says, Tom, there's something that we want to say to you. She said, we love you. And I was like, wow, Mrs. Kim, um, I love you too. You know, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. You know? And she goes, no, no, Tom, Tom, uh, I love you. And again, I was like, uh, Thank you, Mrs. Kim. Uh, I love you too. You know, and it, she goes, oh, hold on, hold on. My husband would like to speak to you. Husband gets on, uh, who happened to be a pastor as well. And he goes, oh, Tom, you know, uh, we love you. And again, I was like, uh, Mr. Kim, um, I love you too. You know, I didn't know what to say. And then one last time, I said, no, Tom, Tom, I love you. And then it was at that moment I realized these are the words that I've been longing to hear from my own parents. And God gave me this as a gift. God was saying, Tom, I love you. I love you. And was using these parents to speak these words. Maybe for some of you today, you've been submitting everything to the king. Maybe you've left your parents and it's been hard and there's no fruit. God is saying to you, I love you. I see you. Maybe for some of you, you've been operating as a lone ranger 
It's tiring. You're isolated. Uh, You're wondering, does God see me? And God is saying to you, I love you. I see you. Maybe for some of you today, you're bearing pain, criticism. You're going through a crisis. And God is saying, know that I love you. Or maybe these are words of encouragement for some of you who are trying to decide whether to step into suffering, to take confidence in our God who is saying, I love you. I love you. When we submit our leadership under the authority of Christ our King, he is faithful. Amen? A leader leads by submitting to the King, a King who lavishes his love and grace. Let me pray for us. Lord, we give you thanks that you look at us here in this room as Asian American pastors and church staff and lay leaders, and you're just looking at us and you're loving us. You see us and you love us. No matter what hard thing you're calling us to, no matter what pain we're bearing, you see us and you're saying, you love us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your promises of a hundredfold in this age and beyond. That no matter what we're going through in this day, no matter what hard thing you're calling us to, you are ultimately a king who has authority over all life, all things, and you are faithful. So, Lord, I pray that this day as we reflect on our own leadership, those hard places, Lord, point out what are those areas that we may need to resubmit to you? How are we submitting to you this day, Lord? We want to honor you as king. We want to glorify you. We want to submit to your name and your only. We want to glorify your name and your name only, not ours. And so, Lord, we repent of whatever is blocking us from doing that, and we submit to you all of who we are and all our leadership this day to you, our king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.